Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may Jesus' words in our gospel reading sink deep into our hearts, to the core of our being, to the center of our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a few years back, there was an ordination, and I attended, and my blessing was Luther's words from the Small Cald articles. Just a little bit of background, not much. Uh, Small Cald was not attended by pastors or theologians, but rather by political leaders. And Luther was asked to make a statement of what the Lutherans believed. Uh, As an interesting side note, he was in great pain, probably a kidney stone. And he thought he was going to die. So many people consider the small called articles to be Luther's last will and testament. That's what he thought it was. And one statement in those articles really struck me, and I used it for my blessing at the ordination of this young pastor. Upon this doctrine, justification by faith depends all things which we teach and practice. After the ordination, one of the pastors reprimanded me and said, Bulkin, next time use a scripture passage. I was sharing what I wish somebody had told me at the beginning of my ministry, that justification by faith alone is central to our understanding of Jesus, to our understanding of ourselves, to the mission of the church. So let's go through this text with this statement by Luther as sort of the framework with which we can understand what Jesus is saying. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict the world. You noticed in the theme, that's kind of unusual. The Spirit is going to go out into the world, outside the church, and he's going to convict people. The Greek word for convict, the best way I can explain it is cross-examination in a courtroom. To examine someone to reveal their core beliefs, the center of who they are and what they're about. So what is this conviction of sin? Well, you know, Christians do confess the wrong things they do. And of course, religious people do that too. I want to give you an insight from a George Whitfield sermon, which just blew me away. George Whitfield died in 1770. He was an Episcopal priest, a great revival preacher. And he said, religious people will confess the wrong things they do, but only Christians will confess their righteousness, the right things they do. Say what? 
George Whitfield, I call him Whitfield, some people call him Whitefield. But George Whitfield said, our human nature is so sold to the law and being legalist that we naturally take credit for the right things we do. And even before God, not just before the world, like Abraham, but even before God, we think the right things we do justify us. Tell me more. You do know Jesus' parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, but Luke's preface to that parable is so revealing. Jesus told this parable to people who justified themselves and looked down on others. Is it a bad thing to fast, a bad thing to tithe? Probably not things you do, but it's bad if you take those things and justify yourself and say, well, at least I'm better than that guy over there. Well, if it's still a little bit unclear, another parable of Jesus is quite helpful, and this is Luke 15, the parable of the two lost sons. I know we always say it's the prodigal son, but it's the two lost sons. The younger son decides that he's going to justify himself. He's going to find meaning and significance and value in his life by taking his inheritance, spending lavishly, partying like crazy, and even associating with prostitutes. We say, well, that's... That's those people. That's licentiousness. What about the older son? When dad throws a party for the younger son who was lost and is now found, who is dead and is now alive, the older son says, Dad, how can you do that? All these years, I've been obedient. I've served you. And the word in the Greek is so telling. I've been slaving for you. It's not willing service. It's obligation to get his dad's approval. And you never gave me a goat. And you do know, don't you, it's the older son that Jesus is really telling the parable about because, again, Luke introduces it, Jesus told this parable because he was seen associating and eating with sinners. Do you get it yet? Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin because you don't believe in me. It's not belief and unbelief. It's belief in Jesus and belief in ourselves. The source of all sin is our self-salvation projects. Or... As Luther would say, the source of all sin is self-righteousness. 
Instead of looking to Christ's righteousness, we look to ourselves and seek to establish our righteousness. Oh, come on, admit it. You know the typical song. I go to church, I put money in the offering plate, I say my prayers, I read my Bible, God owes me. I've heard this a thousand times from Lutherans. Some difficulty, some distress, some hardship, some suffering enters their life and they say, how can God do this to me? I've served him. I've read his Bible. I've gone to church. I put money in the offering plate. Admit it. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit into the world of which you are part to convince you that you are legalistic, self-righteous, proud Pharisees. Until you admit that, the church will never come alive and the mission of the church will be thwarted and die on the vine. If you cannot admit that your nature is soaked with sin to the degree that even the right things you do end up being wrong because you use them instead of Jesus to give meaning and significance, worth and value. Biblical word, righteousness. Yeah, but I've got a nice family and I've got good friends. Okay, that's good in the world. Don't take it to God. I have a good job and make a good income. That's your security? That's your ultimate worth? I have hobbies and, and sinful habits that I enjoy. I keep my life in order. I'm in control. People respect me. I go to church. Admit it. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you today to convince you that your sinful nature runs deep. Okay, I'll admit it. After the sermon, I'm looking for people to say, good sermon, Pastor. If not, the drive back to Forest Grove is just going to be a, a tear fest. The Holy Spirit needs to dig deep into our psyche, into the core of our being, and show us what we're about. And I'm going to say it real clearly and real briefly, and you can write it down if you like, but the source of all sin is not trusting Jesus for our righteousness, but trusting ourselves to make our lives right. Not just before the world, but before God. Let's go to righteousness. The message is simple. Righteousness is something is not something that we present to God so that he will accept us. 
It is something God gives to us that makes us acceptable. One of the most beautiful images of the Old Testament is being clothed in the robe of righteousness, being perfect in God's eyes, so that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. Let me tell you the problem with forgiveness. And I like forgiveness. I need it as much as anybody, and it's a life-giving message. But here's the problem. Many people see forgiveness in this way. Uh, Jesus is sitting next to his father, and he says, okay, okay, I, I see what Dan's doing. Same thing he did last week. He doesn't seem to be improving. Uh, but please forgive him. Just one more time. Please, with sprinkles on it. Uh, he can't help himself. Please forgive him. When's he going to wear out? When's he going to get tired and say, I've had it? Dan, you shape up or ship out. Cut it out. Knock it off. I can't just be forgiving you for the same stupid things you do over and over, the same stupid things you think over and over. There's got to be a stop to it. That's the way many people picture forgiveness. There's a limit. God's gracious nature, his loving kindness, his mercy wears out. Well, what if you go to 1 John where John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Okay, the faithful part I get. Just? God is just? And that's why he forgives my sins? Well, you go to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Do you understand? Do you get it? Jesus doesn't go to his father and say, pretty, please forgive Dan just one more time. He goes to his father and he says, you have to forgive him. I took his place. I suffered the punishment and the penalty of his sin. You can't punish two people for the same sin. I took it. Forgive him. You have no choice. If you're going to be just, do it. Do you like that better? I do. Let me tell you the problem with righteousness. You don't hear it much from Christian pulpits. My older and wiser brother, he decided to be a pastor from high school I was a late bloomer. It wasn't until uh, Sandy and I started dating and I began to think, what do I want to do with my life, that I thought about the ministry. But I sent my older and wiser brother a sermon on the summary, the conclusion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Okay? And you know how the sermon ends. Jesus talks about the two ways, the two trees, the two houses. 
the narrow way, the good tree, the house built on the rock. And this pastor said in his sermon, if you read the Sermon on the Mount carefully, this is all about righteousness. The narrow way, people not trusting in their own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness. The good tree planted in Christ's righteousness, roots running deep into his righteousness, the house built on the rock, solid, Christ's righteousness. So I sent this to my brother, and he wrote back, and he said, it's not a sermon. It didn't mention the forgiveness of sins. Well, since he's my older, wiser brother, I, I don't try to correct him. But I wondered, has he ever read Romans 4? Has he ever read the Lutheran Confessions? Has he ever read Walther's Law and Gospel? In Walther's Law and Gospel, he talks a lot about the forgiveness of sins. But if you go to the quotes that he cites from Luther, they're all about justification by faith alone. Now, I love the forgiveness of sins, and don't accuse me of not wanting to preach forgiveness of sins, but I find Justification by faith in Christ's righteousness to be much more dynamic, powerful. It has impacted my heart and my life. See, what, what we do with forgiveness is this. We bring in a bucket load. Well, in my case, it's more like a bushel, well, a couple bushel baskets load of sins and we come to church, and the pastor speaks the words of absolution, and we say, good, I'm, I'm good for a week. Uh, but, gosh, if I do some of these things again, I'm going to have to come in and, and get a repeat application. It's up and down. Righteousness is steady. Michael Horton, in his book, Christless Christianity said that most Christians think we get into the church, the kingdom, by grace, but we stay in by the law, by obeying. Okay, I hate to keep quoting Luther, but Luther says to advance. In Christianity, always go back to the beginning. Got it? If you want to grow, go back to the reality of your justification. In fact, one preacher that I like says, sanctification or Christian life is nothing but the daily hard work of going back to our justification to the reality of our justification. Do you understand why I like righteousness? It's so simple. Your basic sin, the source of all your sin, is your self-righteousness. But Christ is your righteousness. 
You don't need to do that stupid stuff. You don't need to make a lot of money or be popular or play golf in the low 90s. You don't need to do that. Christ is your righteousness. That's where your worth and your value and your significance reside. It's in Christ. Well, what about the final one? He will convince us of judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. The devil likes to stir the pot. And at night when I go to sleep, the devil continually plays this video of the stupid things I've done and said, and, and I wake up in a sweat of guilt and shame. You do know the Old Testament word Satan means accuser. That's what he does. Okay, kind of out of character for me, but let's go to the hymnal. Turn to 656. Now, I memorized this in confirmation, all four verses. Uh, and I was going to impress you, but I thought, no, I better not do that. 6.56. I also told Sharon that this was in the running for the sending hymn. Uh, but I like the lamb better, so what am I going to do? So here we go. Verse 1. A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. He helps us free from every need that hath us now overtaken. The old evil fall now means deadly woe. Deep guile and great might are his dread arms in fight. On earth is not his equal. Verse 2. With might of ours, cannot be done. Um, soon were our loss affected, but for us fights the valiant one whom God himself elected. Ask ye who is this? Jesus Christ it is of Sabaoth, Lord. Now, I know most Christians hear Sabaoth as Sabbath, Sabaoth is sometimes translated hosts. It means armies, the angelic armies. And there's none other God. He holds the field forever. And now verse 3, go to the top of the second page. This world's prince may still scowl fierce as he will. He can harm us none. He's judged. The deed is done. One little word can fail him. For years, I thought the word was Christ. I've changed to think the word is justification. Mr. Devil, you have no claim. You have no right accusing me, bringing charges against me. Christ is my righteousness. I want to conclude with a postscript. 
It's not in your outline, but here goes. When I graduated from seminary in 1976, the hot evangelism program was Kennedy Explosion. You know the two questions? Um, if you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And if you say yes, why would God let you in his heaven? And uh, I have to tell you a story. My third year of seminary, well, actually my fourth year, I attended the church downtown Springfield Trinity, and they sent out a Kennedy evangelism team. And I recognized what was going on. And they said, uh, Dan, are you sure you'd go to heaven? I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what would you say to God? And I said, well, you know, I'm going to seminary, and I'm going to be a pastor. I'm better than most. I just wanted to stir the pot. They didn't know what to do with that. Here's a fourth-year seminarian student who doesn't know about God's grace. But uh, Kennedy evangelism never really made any big inroads into the world. Uh, we have evangelism programs that come out of St. Louis. The latest one, I don't know if you've heard, is called Lassie. And I have no idea what the acronym stands for. I, uh, it's too long for me to remember. What if the Holy Spirit impelled us to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment? Here's the deal, folks. This is so easy. I mean, it's astoundingly simple. Everybody is doing something that they think will make their life worthwhile, valuable, significant, righteous. Everybody on this planet is doing that. All you have to do is say, oh, by the way, uh, what gives you worth? What makes your life significant? And they're going to talk about their family, their friends, or their money, or their good looks, or whatever. And then you say, you do realize that that's not going to work one day. Uh, for example, I'm getting older. Uh, one of my favorite things was jogging and hiking. Can't do it anymore. I no longer can hike in the Tetons. That was my righteousness. I could go to these beautiful places that were eight miles off the main highway. Can't do it anymore. Does that mean my life has no value? Christ is your righteousness. Whatever your pedigree, whatever your resume, whatever you're trusting in, it will fail you. Only Christ and his righteousness endure forever. And now the third part, exceedingly easy. Christian life sanctification is nothing more than doing the daily hard work of going back to the reality of your justification. If this message would take root in the church and people in the community would see what's going on, that we're not judging them, that we're not critical of them, but we know 
what their deepest need, their deepest yearning, what it's all about. We understand. We understand life is difficult, and you want to feel that your life is significant, that it has meaning, that it lasts more than 80, 90, 100 years and out. Christ's righteousness. And when that takes root in your heart, your life is changed. You care about people because God cares about them. Nobody is a throwaway. Nobody is hopeless. This message has power to touch every life in this world because it understands us to our deepest core and it understands what Christ is about to the highest heavens. And it gives us a way of living in this world that shows care and concern, love and hope for people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts today that we might experience his convicting power to show us our sin, to reveal Christ's righteousness, and to give us victory over the devil who has been judged. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.